If you're older than that, though, you have no choice. You have to stay. So just to be clear on that. We're going to be taking a look this morning at uh, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, and it's this ancient story of the life of this Jesus of Nazareth. One of his dearest and closest disciples is an old man writing to the church, writing to people that they would really get it that they would not just know the things that happened in Jesus' life, but that they would put together the story of who Jesus was, that he was really the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, and that by believing in him that they may have life in his name. Last week we came to this story where Jesus had had gotten into a little bit of trouble with the, the religious authorities, the leaders of the time, because Uh, He had healed this man on the Sabbath. And so here we're going to pick up kind of mid-story on this response that Jesus has to to their accusations. His response to them of them saying, you can't possibly be a good guy in our world. So join with me, John. We're going to start in chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Or Jesus had just said in verse 17, but Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and so I am working as well. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved." He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father 
has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Yet if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, when we come to your word, sometimes you, you have a way of speaking that, that breaks from the cadence that we expect. The words that, that flow can, can seem to jumble together into this otherworldly speech that has no bearing on our time and our place and our lives. And yet, God, we believe that by your spirit you have preserved these words for our good, that they would change us, that they would fill us with something that is not in ourselves but something that is of you. God, we pray that by these words this morning, your spirit would work to aliven that which was dead. That you would use your spirit to bring life to a, to, to a world that desperately needs to hear your good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I was, uh, a calendar appointment popped up that it was, I was supposed to meet uh, we'll call him Chris here uh, uh, for lunch. And, of course, it was at Pyros because Pyros is my home away from home. Uh, if you've had lunch with me, there's about a 50% chance it's been at Pyros. Um, and so I just, you know, hopped in my car, popped into to Pyros, and, and as I was walking in, I realized I don't know this guy. Like, I have no idea who I'm meeting. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know... Uh, I, I'm not even sure I remember what his name is, okay? I don't know how often this happens to you, but this seems to happen to me more often than not. And so quickly, I like, as I'm walking in, I, you know, I grab my phone, and I, he's a pastor at another church, and so I, I pull up the church website, and I get his picture, right? And so I, I know, like, okay, maybe I'll be able to identify this guy once I get into the, the restaurant. And, uh, and so I walk in, and there's, there's no one standing kind of by the door like they're waiting for someone. And so I think, well, I must have, must have beat him here. Let me go walk and, and kind of scan the tables and make sure he's not already here somewhere hiding. And so I, I walk to the back of the restaurant, and I, I, I'm, you know, scanning all, every table, every single face in the restaurant I look at. And I'm about to turn and leave, and this voice, like two feet behind me, two feet behind my back, goes, Ben? And I, I turn, and the man who said Ben to me is not the man who's on the picture in my phone, right? Like, I'm like, my, I swear, my first thought was, like, do, 
do we know each other? Have we ever interacted before? Because, like, the guy behind me had a completely different haircut than the guy in the picture, right? He, he had an entirely different, like, style of clothes. Like, if I was to judge him on his style, like, I would think this was two entirely different people, right? His, his beard was now gone and, and shaven. I had no idea who this man was, even though I was looking for a man I knew I didn't know. Ben? And I swear to you, my, my initial thought was like, oh, hey, I'm looking for someone else. I'm sorry. I can't, can't, can't talk to you right now, right? But of course, it was, it was Chris, right? It was Chris, this man that I was, uh, had lined up a few weeks ago to meet, Chris, whose picture I had looked at on the phone. And yet when I was there, just like two feet away from him, I like looked him square in the eye and then turned and kept looking for him somewhere else. When we come to this text, we have these people, these people who had spent their whole lives looking at the scriptures, looking at these testimonies about God, about considering his features and his work in the world. And yet when they come to Jesus, when they have God incarnate sitting in front of them, two feet away, close enough that they could see him in his eyes, they could smell his body odor, right? They could see the, the, the drip of sweat on his forehead. They were so very close, and yet they didn't recognize him. Not only did they not recognize him, they actually uh, would begin, as we're told in this text, that they were planning and seeking to kill him, to violently dispose of him because they were so sure that he didn't match the picture that they saw on their phone, so to speak, that they thought this must surely not be the Messiah. This must surely not be the Son of God that we're told of. And yet the tragedy of John, and the tragedy we'll come back to over and over and over again in this text, is that he is exactly the only person that they need to recognize. He is the only source of life. It is by believing in him, by knowing who he is, by responding to him as God that these folks can experience life. Not just any life, but eternal life, good life, full life in his name. And yet they are about to push him away. The verses we read at the end, Jesus says to them, these unbelievable words, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But they, it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There's a tragic event that's about to unfold. That they would be in the very presence of the Son of God. And not just walk away not knowing who it was, but to have violently opposed him, violently put him to death. And they didn't just violently oppose him because they didn't know. They violently opposed him because they believed in a false religion. Their religion was actually what is blocking them from seeing just who Jesus is. 
So my desire for us is to not be in that same place, right? The desire is not for us to come within two feet of Jesus, the Son of God, and yet somehow be blocked, yet somehow be blinded from who he is and what he is doing in the world. And so I want us to look. I think this passage shows us two different ways, two different ways that they should have recognized who Jesus was, that he was the second person of the Trinity, that he was the Son of God, why they didn't recognize him. And then finally, how we can avoid their error. So first, we want us to take a look at the the first way that they should have recognized that Jesus was the Christ, was that he looked exactly like the Father. Verse um, verses uh, 19 here through through 24 kind of pick up on this theme, and it's a picture of a father and a son. It plays up this relational analogy, which in the ancient world, a father and a son would have have uh, their normal father-son relationship, but they would also more than likely be uh, an apprentice relationship, right? The son would learn a trade, a skill from his father. He would become his father's apprentice. But perhaps if, if Joseph lived long enough in Jesus's uh, adolescent life, Jesus would have followed and looked at his father. He would have tried to imitate his father's carpentry and practice his skill. And so the text tells us that uh, the son can do nothing on his own accord. That he only does what he sees the father doing. That the father is, is a dad who delights in showing his son just what he's doing in the world so that the son can mimic it, can imitate it. These uh, religious leaders hate and have vilified uh, Jesus because of the things he's said, the things he's done, the way he's related with people in the world. Yet Jesus says to them, he says, you should see exactly what I'm doing because I'm doing exactly what God has been doing. Just as the Father gives life to those who are dead, that is the same thing that I am doing. I'm following the footsteps of the God you claim to worship. Secondly, in verse 22, he says, uh, the Father, the Father who, who in the Old Testament has the unique and total and absolute right to judge and bring judgment upon those who would bring harm into his world, God, the Father, who has that absolute right, has entrusted it here, the text says, to the Son. So just in the same way that, that God brings life, Jesus brings life. And just the same way that, that God is said to bring judgment, now we see that Jesus is the one who brings judgment. That Jesus, to look at Jesus, is to see God. Right? This is to get into some uh, kind of messy and murky uh, theological waters here, right? If you've uh, heard this doctrine of the Trinity, that there are these three persons who are of one substance, that are the, the same and equal in power and glory, it's, it's one of those things that if you think about it long enough, your mind will explode, okay? But if you think about God as being something completely other than us, it kind of makes sense that we wouldn't get it, doesn't it? What Jesus is telling to them is you don't have to understand the rocket science uh, of the inner Trinitarian dialogue to understand that we're doing the same thing. 
that you as a human are going to experience God, one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You, they have different functions and they have different forms and they have different work that they do, but they are an experience that we encounter as one, right? When you pray to God, you pray to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Their work is the same. When you uh, consider and give thanks to God for salvation, for the work he's done in the world, you give thanks to them not as three different people, but as one God, one God who has brought health and life. And so Jesus is teaching them. He says, look, I look, I'm doing exactly what God says. Why don't you recognize me? The reality is, is they don't recognize what Jesus is doing or who Jesus is because they've never known the Father to begin with. Verse 37, Jesus looks at these, these people and he says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. But here's the problem. Your voice, his voice, you have never heard. His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. His, fo his, his voice you have not heard, as your prophet Moses had. His form you have not seen, as Elijah did. And you do not have his word abiding in you, his word abiding in you, just like Joshua, just like Isaiah. Just like all these prophets who beforehand have had a real encounter with God and you've had none of it. You've never known the Father and so you can't possibly see the, the family resemblance in the Son. But here's where I think it's important. The reason why they didn't understand who God really was, who God the Father really was, is because they had taken the God the Father of the Bible and they had inserted a, a, a caricature, a cartoon drawing of who God was. And God was, in their minds, this law-loving law God, a God whose affinity for laws made him treasure and value and love people, not based upon their worth, but be based upon their performance, based upon the way that they could toe the line or maybe even exceed it, Right? Not just not work on the Sabbath, but follow the rules that they had devised God would probably like. They didn't know a God who brought life to death. They only knew a God who, who, who acknowledged greatness in humans. They didn't know a God who brings judgment on their sin because they looked at their life and said, I'm scotch-free, I'm clean. They never interacted with a God who is both full of law and full of grace at the same time. And so when Jesus comes, pouring out grace and mercy and come, coming and, and pouring out the fulfillment of the law, they're like, I, I've never seen this guy before. He looks nothing like the picture of God that I have painted. And I think it's interesting for us as well. Because I think this division between God the Father and God the Son is something that, that wrestles in our hearts still the same. We wanted to paint this God the Father, this God of the Old Testament in this caricature. This God who just has meaningless laws and arbitrary rules. A God who is, is quick to judge and a God who is quick to discipline. And we want to paint Jesus 
as being this God who is, is nothing but this uh, self-affirming love, a love that doesn't ask for change, a love that doesn't shift or morph, a love that has no expectations, but a God who is okay and tolerant of everything. And so we pick or choose. Maybe you like to perform and follow the rules and get acknowledged. Maybe you like to feel like there's nothing that's expected of you to change in the world. And you pick and you choose. Do you want Jesus or do you want God? But it's interesting to note the two things that Jesus says, me and God, we're, we're tight. We're on the same page. We're doing exactly the same thing, right? That we're bringing life and grace and mercy to that which is dead. He says that's what God the Father did and what God the Son did. The second thing that Jesus says is, is that, uh, that there is a judgment, right, that each is accountable to his own works, things that we want to put on God the Father, and yet Jesus says, no, actually, I'm the one who judges. No, actually, I'm the one who says the law in its fullness is beauty and truth and grace for you. The most godly men and women that I have known in my life, the most godly people that I've known in my life are known for their absolutely lack of tolerance for sin. Their tolerance for sin is nil. They will ask you questions and pointed ones at that, asking you to look at your heart and decide what is evil. But at the same time, their, their hatred for sin has led them for a profound and robust, shocking, scandalous love and grace. These men in, the, in, in these Jewish leaders did not recognize God because they could only conceive of God as a caricature, a caricature that played into the story they wanted to write in the world. They didn't miss God because they denied him. They didn't miss God because they said, forget you, I'm going with the Romans. I'm going to worship at the, the Greek temple. They missed God because they, they said, okay, God, Yahweh, you can be my God, but you have to follow my rules. You're going to be a God that does what I think you ought to do, that you're going to be a God who, who follows and, and presents yourself in such a way that makes me feel comfortable, that makes me feel acceptable, that makes me feel like I am in control. And the God of the Bible will have nothing of it. And so it comes to us, what is it that we respond to God? When we, God calls us out on our sin, do we call him an, an unloving God, a God and, uh, who's lack of tolerance, a God who is completely unlike Jesus, or we look at him and call him Savior. When he calls us out on our self-righteousness, our desire to be good and perfect to our own standards, will we look at him and call him a, a licentious heathen? When he calls us to love and to enter in uh, to places that are scandalous and sin-filled, or will we call him the life giver. We must recognize Jesus as the Christ, recognize Jesus as the Son of God, because they both are true at the same time. We must be conformed by him, by the reality of who he is, and not our own caricature. The second reason that they should have recognized Jesus, the second reason that they should have known who he was and just why he mattered in their world was 
because they were told. They were told, right? You imagine if I went to that meeting at, at Pyros and, and Chris says to me, Ben, and I turn around and I look at him and I see this face that I don't recognize, this face that, that I don't believe in, and I go, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm here for someone else. And he said, well, well, my name's Chris, and, and I work at this church, and, and here are our mutual connections, right? He tells me all the background of how we set up the meeting, and I look at him and go, mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think you're right. I think you're telling me something that's a lie. Then imagine that, that like the, our mutual friend who set up this lunch date came in to the restaurant, and he comes into the restaurant, and he, he says, oh, Ben and Chris, so glad you guys finally got to get together, right? I'm sure you guys have caught up by now, and I, I, I pulled out my phone, and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure this isn't Chris here. I'm pretty sure this is somebody else faking to be Chris. I'm just going to go back up front and wait for the real Chris to come. Right? It's ludicrous. It's a ludicrous idea, and yet that is exactly what Jesus accuses these people of. He tells them in verse uh, 33 and 35, he says, you don't have to take my word for it. Look, it's like reading rainbow, right? Don't take my word for it. There's, there's John the Baptist, this man who intrigued you. He could appeal and he could draw in crowds, and so you gravitated towards him. And he told you, I am the Christ. Verse 36, Jesus says, you can look at the things I'm doing, these miraculous signs that have been provided to you, and you can clearly see that I am the Christ, the Son of God, the, one, uh, the second member of the Trinity. In verse 37, he says, The Father himself has spoken and told you who I am. And then finally, in verse 39, and again in verse 46, he says to them, You don't just have these current testimonies. You have the very words of God in Scripture. This law that you claim that you study, these prophets that you claim to listen to, these psalms that you sing every week on the Sabbath, these all tell of me. If you really believe them to be true, you would recognize who I am. But they didn't. Why? Was it that they uh, took the scriptures too seriously? Was it that they got so caught up in the minutia that they missed the, the, the big picture? No. No, it's that they didn't take the scriptures seriously enough. Because they came to the scriptures, verses 43 and 44, and they will tell us that they come to the scriptures looking for something. They come to the scriptures with an agenda. Look at verse 44. How can you believe? When you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. See, they came to the scriptures, these scriptures that Moses had written, and they came to them seeking and looking to find glory. Seeking to find uh, attention and self-affirmation because of their obedience to the laws. Seeking uh, to find comfort at the, how good they were, that they were on the winning team. They came to the scriptures looking for power that they could use uh, to control other people. They came to the scriptures for every reason for themselves other than to be changed by the God who wrote them. 
They came to the scriptures within an agenda. They came to the scriptures to receive glory for themselves. And so they couldn't hear what was spoken directly to them. You see, if, we, uh, if the story of Christianity, if the story of our faith is true then Christianity is not a religion that you choose, right? It's not like you are at a restaurant and you have a menu of items and you say, oh, I think I like this one better than this one, right? Christianity, if it's true, if the story that the Bible says is true, Christianity is not a choice that we make. It's a reality that we recognize, right? It's an inherent truth that we see in the world and we see the story that the Bible tells really lines up with the experience of the world that I see. The story of the Bible is what tells me what is really real. If the story of the Bible is true, the only choice you have is whether to accept it as truth or whether to continue to deceive yourself into thinking there's something else. When we come to the scriptures, we're coming to, not with an agenda to make ourselves feel better, because we can't. We don't get to choose what the scriptures speak. We don't get to choose what it is that God speaks. When we come to the scriptures, we can't come to it looking for a means for power or control, because there is only one with power and control. And yet, oftentimes, the expression of religion is used for exactly for that reason. These men had found power. They had found control. They had found comfort and glory in their roles as, as what should have been priests of God Almighty. And yet they missed the very thing that they were talking about. Because they came to the scriptures looking for themselves. If you've come here this morning looking simply to feel better about yourself. If you've come here this morning simply to feel like you're better than somebody else. If you've come here this morning desiring nothing but to go on your way feeling good and cheery and merry, you are about to be rudely interrupted. Because Jesus says you can't find life. You can't find the, the eternal life in the words. You find them in the one whom the words talk about. You find them in Jesus. So are we coming here this morning to be comforted in our own goodness? Or are we coming here to interact with a God who makes us good? Are we trying to listen to the words God has for us? Or are we trying to manipulate the words to defend this caricature of who God is or who Jesus is that makes us feel like we're in control? To recognize Jesus for who he is, to gain access to the life that is found in him, we need to come to him on his own terms. And so the question that this text leads us to ask is, have we done it? Have we recognized the real Jesus or has a false religion, a distorted mistruth blocked us from being able to see it? Have we made Jesus say the things we want him to say and made God blend into the distance? 
have we heard a word from the Lord but been uncomfortable with a friend of sinners? Have you created a one-dimensional God, a God who just wants you to be, quote, a good person? And yet he tells you nothing of what it means to die with him, that you might rise with him. Do you find yourself presuming uh, in your day-to-day life that, you know, my relationship with God, we're on good terms. Everything's okay. And you find yourself believing that not because you trust and rely on his mercy and his forgiveness and his kindness, but because you've convinced your heart that you've got nothing to repent of? Do you find yourself coming to God and, and being racked with guilt and fear? Because the God, the caricature of God that you believe in is one who, who would never accept you as you are, who would never give forgiveness for your sins, who would never heal you on a Sabbath. If you have any of those things, you've taken this God of the Bible, this God who exists in three persons, a God whose desire and aim is to build and to edify and to redeem the world, and you've made him into what you want him to be, to make yourself feel good. Because the question at the end of the day uh, for us is that there is a reality that John wrote these words because he knew that we were going to be prone to make God fit our story. He knew that we would be prone to be like these authorities who misinterpreted, who uh, failed to recognize Jesus for who he was and what he was doing in the world. But as we come to Jesus, we don't come to him as people who have it all figured out. We come to Jesus because he is the one who walks alongside. He is the one who comes to those who are severely misguided. And he tells them that you have rejected me and it is only in me that you may have life. But to tell them you refuse to come to me is also to invite them to come to him, right? To say you have not found life because you refuse to come is to say, come who are anxious and weary. The come, those who have perceived God as hating you. Come to those who think God is a fanboy of yours. And he says, come that you might find real life. Come and be discomforted. By the reality of a God who is not you, but has your best in mind. Come to the God whose love for you and whose mercy forgives even those who reject. Even those who plot. Even those who hate. John writes this, that we might see ourselves in their doubts. And that we might repent. And by repenting and believing In Jesus of the Bible, we might find life in his name and not our own. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, as people who are prone uh, to make up a story, prone to find affirmation wherever we can squeeze it in, and yet you tell us of yourself. You tell us of a world that we can't control and of a love that is so fierce in its application we can't even comprehend it. 
Father, I pray that we would see you in Jesus, in your life and in your judgment, in your hope and in your love, that we would see you unified in this purpose to bring life to those who are dead, including us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.